Greetings, and welcome to the East Village Times podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me as usual, I have my host, Patrick Brewer, with us. Uh, Patrick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, James? I'm doing excellent. Uh, we have an exciting show today. Um, we have Jesse Agler of uh, Padre Fame with us, uh, and he's willing to sit down and, and you know talk to us a little bit about uh, what's going on in uh, on the team and uh, a little bit about himself. Um, not too much going on on the on the uh, baseball front right now. Uh, the Fernando Rodney signing uh, appears to be official. Um, mixed reviews on on whether people are happy or not. What are your thoughts, Patrick? I mean, I, I like the move. I don't, I don't really see the um, the need for, I guess, the backlash. I've seen a lot of backlash, like, oh, he sucks, he's washed up, blah blah blah. But it's like he's getting paid, I, I think, like one point five mil, so it, or one point six mil. So it's it's a base salary, and it's it's got incentives. So if he performs to, to the expectations, he's going to get paid like it. And I think even if he makes the full salary over the next two years, I think the full salary would be nineteen million. I think that's still going to be a, a great deal for. Uh, the performance he would give us if those incentives do kick in. And I mean, you got, you, you, I guess he's a similar player to Benoit. A lot of people say, but we, we got, we cashed in Benoit when we could as, as a, as a, a free eight or a, sorry, as a trade piece. Mm-hmm. So I think we got some good prospects back in that deal. And if you can sign Rodney to replace him at a low cost, why not? So you basically just cashed in, traded out assets and we, we acquired a couple assets in the deal. So I think it's in that, in that regard, it's a good move. And I think he provides a good veteran presence in the bullpen because a lot of there's a lot of young guys down there, and there's not really that guy that's, I guess, the veteran anymore now that Kimbrel and Benoit are both gone. So I think he'll he'll play a good part, and he's got probably a lot a lot a lot of information to help the younger guys. So I think it's a good move all around. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I don't understand where the backlash is coming from. You know, with the base salary. And the incentives, uh, you know, it's it's only a deal that benefits the Padres, and you know we could effectively get a, a, a two good seasons out of him if all breaks well. You know, it, it, to me, it's it's a no brainer. We needed that veteran presence, and we needed someone to close out games. At, at this point, to rely on um, John Edwards or Brandon Maurer if he's put in that role is just you know it's you don't know what you're going to get. Well, with, with Rodney, you you kind of know what you're going to get. He's a he's a little bit of a character if you will and i think that in itself will be entertaining for padre fans yeah i think it's a low risk high reward and i mean if if the best the best option is he's great the first half and maybe we trade him and get some more assets i mean that that's definitely a likelihood as well so i think it could go either way yeah no that's definitely a a, you know that's definitely what could happen in the long run and and um you know the padres are, are doing some bargaining shopping right now bargain shopping if you will and I have no problem with the Rodney pickup. I think that that's a wise selection. And in my opinion, we'll probably have a two or three other selections, uh, other um, acquisitions similar to that, if you will. Um, you know, other than that, there's really hasn't been much else uh, as far as the news front. Um, is there anything that I'm missing, Patrick? No, I think that's pretty much all that's gone on the past week. I mean, the details of Alexi Ramirez's contract came out. It's, Three million for next year. I mean, initially it was reported as four million, so a million less, so even better deal. And then it's a four million dollar option for next season or 2017, I should say, with a one million buyout. So a total of possibly seven million if he's he's here both years. So that's a great deal for the team. I mean, if he provides any sort of value at all, it's 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 worth the money. So definitely another another wise selection by AJ Preller and uh, another team friendly deal, if you will. Mm-hmm. So you want to just bring Jesse in here then? Yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and bring uh, Mr. Agler in, and uh, let's talk some Padre baseball. All right. All right, welcome back to the East Village Times podcast. Uh, we're very happy today to have the director of content for the San Diego Padres and uh, one of the radio and TV personalities that uh, we've all grown to love over the past two years. Uh, Jesse Agler is with us today. How are you doing, Jesse? I'm doing great, thank you. And I, I didn't realize I was so loved. I appreciate that. That's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> the the love is is growing steadily for sure. I appreciate that. And and one thing, I've actually handed off director of content to the uh, more than capable Nikki Patriarca at the Padres. So uh, I would I wouldn't wow. want that to go unsaid. Yeah. So that's sort of one of the uh, off season developments, if you will, behind the scenes at the Padres. Nice. Good. Well, congratulations to Nikki for that uh, She's awesome, promotion, yeah. if you will. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had I've had had a couple interactions with her, and she's she's a very sweet person. Yeah, um, very capable too. Yeah, 
you know, that leads me into my first question. Have you guys uh, determined or found a p- new uh, Padres Social Hour host? Um, if we were having this conversation a week from now, the answer might be yes. Um, I think it's pretty okay. close. I've been not super involved in the process. You know, I mean, it's a little bit weird because I was the person hosting it. So, you know, I think they wanted kind of a, a clean start for the new person. Um, but I, I've been brought in a little bit in the last week or so. Um, I'm not going to say anything because it's not my place to, but it's definitely getting closer and closer. And I, I know the goal has always been to have the person ready to go, you know, for the start of spring training workouts in, in mid, late February. So certainly before then and and possibly even sooner. Okay. Okay. Will there be a formal announcement from the club? I, I would imagine. I'm sure they have something planned. Um, I would guess actually that in our last social hour before spring training, you know, we'll have the person on either on set or on the phone, depending on where they are. Um, you know, to sort of introduce them um, formally. So, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would imagine something happens. Well, that sounds sounds like uh, something to look forward to for Padre fans for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. You know, uh, I think it'd be uh, appropriate for us to kind of first uh, start out our conversation. With, you know, tell the fans a little bit about you know how you got to where you are, and um, you know how the Padres um, found you. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, I would say, first of all, you know, I worked my butt off. And second of all, and maybe more importantly than that, I got really lucky a couple of times. Uh, You know, I often talk to people who are in this industry or who are interested in this industry. And they're like, hey, man, what's the key? You know, whether it's like a high school kid or a college kid or a young professional or, you know, anybody. And I always say, you know, don't suck and get lucky. And that sounds, you know, sort of tongue in cheek, but I, I think there's a lot there. And luck can be controlled to some extent, you know. I mean, I, I think part of luck is the preparation. What's the old coach saying, you know, opportunity and preparation meet, that's luck, whatever the, you know, cheesy thing is. Um, but it's true. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I've kind of had my eyes on being a broadcaster and a baseball broadcaster in particular since I was like, I don't know, like 9, 10, 11 years old. Um, you know, that's kind of when I realized I wanted to do this. And, uh, you know, I started interning at places when I was in high school. Um, I was very involved in college radio at the University of Miami. Um, literally a couple days after graduating college, I went to Kansas and did a season of Woodbat Summer League ball in the Jayhawk League, uh, broadcasting baseball games. Came back after that season was over and started working at a sports radio station in Miami. Um, sort of impressed some people and was hired to host the pregame and the intermission and the postgame for the Florida Panthers um that october when the hockey season began um so that was really cool because i was oh i guess i was like 23 and like on an nhl broadcast um and then the way i understand it is somebody at the marlins heard me and the marlins and the panthers were on the same station at the time and they're like oh that guy's good we need somebody to do our pregame show and the next thing i knew like that april i was on the marlins pregame show and i got to fill in and do some play-by-play um, for the Marlins and each of those gigs lasted two seasons. And then both of those teams left the radio station I was at and I worked for the radio station, not the team. And I was kind of, um, SOL a little bit with those gigs, but you know, there was a point where I was like 24 years old and I was broadcasting Marlin games on the radio and you know, you're 24, you think, you know, everything. And I'm like, I got this, (laughs) you know, like, all right, cool. Like, you know, someone's going to hire me to go full time. I'm like the next Vin Scully, whatever. You're an idiot when you're 24 (laughs) years old and you get any kind of opportunity. Really long story short, I would go, like seven years between calling major league games. Um, so the last time I called a Marlin game was 07 and I called a Padre game in 2014. Um, now I did other wow. stuff in between that, but that's a great lesson. And you don't think you're as big of a deal as you are. Um, you know, I mean, 2007 to 2014 without calling major league baseball. Um, now in the interim, <laughs> I did get four seasons with the dolphins in there. And that's sort of where I ran into Mike D and Wayne Portello. Uh, they hired me um, in 2010 they were sort of starting this new project with the Dolphins um, called the Finsiders, and it was going to be this daily show. And it's essentially Padre's Social Hour, um, but for the Dolphins. Obviously a little bit different. Mm-hmm. The format is a little different. Uh, days of the week is a little bit different. NFL versus MLB, Miami versus San Diego. But we sort of built that show from the scratch. And um, I did that for four seasons. I called Dolphin games on the radio and on preseason on TV. Um, and, you know... The story I always tell is like, well, when those guys came to the Padres, why did they want to bring you? And I'm sure part of it was, you know, that I'd worked my butt off with them and they trusted me and they appreciated me and all of that. But also my very first and only interview with Mike before they hired me with the Dolphins back in like the summer of 2010, I had like a really bad flu, like 103 degree fever. I didn't know where I was half the time. 
And it was like the meeting with Mike had been rescheduled multiple times um, because he's very busy and I'm very unimportant. And uh, so I finally got this call from Wayne. He's like, hey, Mike's got a hole in his schedule. Can you be here in like 45 minutes? Mind you, I lived like an hour away and I was sick as a dog. I was like, yeah, of course. Um, So I took a quick shower and like got in the car and, you know, drove down to the office. And I was like so hopped up on Dayquil or whatever. Like I barely remember it. Um, But one thing I do remember is Mike asking me like, oh, what's your dream job? And because I was sick and out of it, I didn't think that, oh, I'm interviewing for a job with a NFL team. I was like, oh, broadcasting baseball <laughs> in my interview with the Dolphins. So they knew from day one, basically, that I was like a huge baseball guy and I love baseball. My dream had been to do, you know, baseball on TV and radio. Um, and maybe they remembered that. And, and maybe that's how part of why, you know, I, I got the opportunity to, to join them after they came out here. So that's kind of a long winded circular version of how I ended up here. Well, it's it's interesting that you have the the Mike D and the Wayne Portello connection, uh, and you know it, it brought you all the way out here. It's it's pretty interesting. Very lucky, like I said. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so that Je- that doesn't hurt. So no. Jesse, I wanted to ask you, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Don Orsillo coming to town? Like, have you been able to talk to him yet, or have any interaction with him? Yeah, Patrick, I met him a couple of times so far, and it's been cool. Um, he's, you know, even before meeting him, I looked at him as one of the premier guys mm-hmm. that does this. Um, so first and foremost for me, um, from a selfish standpoint, it's an opportunity to really be around and learn from one of the best. And I'm excited about that. I'm one of these sponge guys, you know, unlike 2007, when I thought I was a big deal, I, (laughs) I, I now understand reality a little bit better and I'm all about learning constantly and, you know, trying to get better and working harder and and all these things all the time. You know, I'm never, ever, ever going to be satisfied with where I'm at. Um, and, and so getting an opportunity to be around Don, to pick Don's brain, to work with Don, to listen to Don, I'm like thrilled about it, you know, from that standpoint, it obviously juggles the broadcast situation, um, a little bit this year, you know, it's Dick Enberg's last season. And, um, so we're adding Don. So, you know, I think everybody's gonna have a little bit of a different schedule this year than, you know, is kind of normal, but that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's just part of the nature of the, the situation. And, um, I'm, I'm really thrilled. And on a personal level, you know, I've gotten to hang out with him a little bit, you know, so far. And obviously we'll, we'll spend a good amount of time together. I'm sure in spring training, he's just such a good guy. Mm-hmm. And that's guys, you get this, like when you're around somebody and a group of somebody's for, you know, basically 180 straight days over the course of a baseball season and longer, if you consider spring training mm-hmm. and you're jammed in buses and airplanes and broadcast booths with people, guys being good guys cannot be overrated like it's it's such a big part of it it's so easy to get sick of somebody who's awesome you know in that situation um so if somebody (laughs) isn't awesome you can imagine how that would grate on you and we're really lucky everybody um that's involved in our little world here is awesome and and don certainly falls into that category so that's that's a nice bonus Mm -hmm, definitely Yeah, I mean, you can definitely feel the chemistry that you guys have in, in your interaction and stuff. And, and just like on the field, it, it plays in the booth as well, I, I would imagine. Maybe more important, and I hate to do the whole chemistry baseball conversation. Yeah, I know. That, I know that's I'm not trying to go down that road with anybody. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, baseball chemistry, you know, I mean, this, there's a sabermetric argument. There's an empirical argument, whatever. You know, in the booth, though, that stuff absolutely matters every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Ted and I have only worked together – like maybe a dozen, 15, 20 games in the two years, um, you know, because normally I would fill in for him on the radio or I'd be over on TV and he's not doing TV. So, uh, you know, he and I working together a lot this year, um, you know, maybe upwards of 80, 90 games, whatever it ends up being, um, you know, he and I are going to have to learn more about each other. Um, and I'm looking forward to that because he's he's easy to work with, man. He's just, he does his thing and he's awesome. But, you know, not a lot of experience. Um, you know, Mud and I over the last two years, I think we got to a place we're like, we really had a lot of fun and there was a good chemistry, um, but it didn't happen automatically. And that was my fault, not his, by the way, because he's got the greatest personality on the planet. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, it took me some time to like, all right, kind of figure him out and where I fit in. Um, and I think Don and Mud are going to be unbelievable. You know, Don and, and Jerry Remy in Boston are like an all-time pairing. Yes, and, yeah. and Mud has a very similar personality to Jerry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Don's just sort of going to slide right into it. Um, the two of them are going to be out of control. I'm I'm very much looking forward <laughs> yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it as well. I mean, I've listened to a few Red Sox games. Obviously, not as many as Boston fans, but I've really liked what what Don Arcillo brings. 
And I feel like, yeah, him and him and Mark Grant are, are probably going to be pretty fun together. Because, I mean, Mark Grant's fun by himself, as, as you know. So I think it's going to be a good time for sure. Mud is um, is a guy that was born to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, he really was. And, yeah. you know, put aside the fact that he was a high draft pick and a major league pitcher, and he knows the game exquisitely well. Um, he, just the personality is, I mean, it's such a great fit for him. And he is one of the absolute best color guys in baseball. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on the, you know, on the MLB app. I watch games. I'll watch replays of games. I'll listen, radio, TV. You know, I'm a total broadcast geek and a baseball nut. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I've heard most everybody, and, and there's no question, you know, Mud is in the upper, upper, upper echelon uh, of color guys. And having gotten to work with him a little bit the last couple of years has really only reinforced that, um, you know, he makes it so fun and so easy. Um, and it's, it's, it's a blast working with him. So yeah, he and Don are going to be sensational. I promise. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing uh, more of uh, Mud, obviously, and, and Don as well, and see how they mesh together. And obviously, it's going to be sad to see Dick Enberg go, but I mean, it, it's good that they got a, a good replacement for him. I think it's a it's a good deal there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're going to you know replace a Hall of Famer with a guy that's at the top of his game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you know when you look at it from a baseball perspective, you know, imagine having uh, a, a retiring you know hall of fame guy at first base for instance and then you go out and you basically trade for or sign the best first baseman in the game you know for the next season yeah you know that's that's pretty much the way i see this yeah i agree it's definitely a a, definitely a good step to take for the organization though definitely definitely you know jesse i want to i want to talk to you a little bit about your your time at uh the elkhart dusters and you know talk to me about how rough it was starting out and you know how you know you got to where you are and i know you went through it briefly but I'm, I'm fascinated with the fact that you spent a little time in this league and and it wasn't the most uh reputable if you will no no definitely not and the team yeah no i mean it was it was a blast you know you use the word rough and there were definitely components of it that were rough and that there were like 18 people in the stands that there were probably three people listening to me on the broadcast um you know the 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 town elkhart uh the population of that town was lower than like the number of people I went to high school with. Um, I mean, it was, it's legit one traffic light, like everything you can imagine of like a small town. It it is like legitimately a small town. So you'd say, Oh yeah, that's rough. But the reality is I just graduated college. All I wanted to do in the world was announce baseball games. And I was getting the opportunity to do it. It was like the greatest four or five months of my life. Um, You know, I loved it. It was incredible. It was just this great adventure. And you know, my dad drove with me to there. It was like a three day drive, you know, to get there from Miami and then uh, he flew back and it was like, well, here I am. Like, I'm an adult, which obviously wasn't the case. I still don't think I'm an adult. But, you know, like, that was it. Like, I'm out of college. Like, this is the real deal. And, uh, you know, the team was terrible, man. The team was just terrible, um, which didn't help. Um, it was, you know, middle of nowhere. Uh, but what an incredible experience to get to see that part of the country, to sort of live that sort of lifestyle, even if it was just for a baseball season. Met some awesome people. Um, you know, the guys on the team, the players were such good dudes. Uh, you know, there was one guy and, you know, we were talking on the bus and, you know, it's everything you imagine with like a minor league type situation with, you know, 10, 12 hour bus rides at night and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, like we stayed in these little motels and, um, I, there were like the, the, the manager and like the bench coach, I guess, or maybe he was the pitching coach. I don't remember the three of us always shared a room. And so there were always two beds. So we would do a rotation every night. Like someone had a bed, someone had a bed, someone's on the floor. The next <laughs> night, the guy on the floor had a bed, and it was like that was the rotation. Um, so, you know, me and like the head coach or the manager, whatever they called him, and, and the other guy. Um, so it's like a neat thing. And when you're 22, it's like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, you know, if I'm 30 now or 33 now, and that, you know, that was the situation, I'd be a little more concerned about where I was in life. But at the time, <laughs> it was the coolest thing ever. And, you know, those long bus rides give you an opportunity to get to know guys. I remember, you know, talking to one of the pitchers and, He's like, did you play? I was like, not for very long, but I was a catcher. And, you know, he's like, do you miss it? I was like, yeah, of course, but I was never good enough to do anything. He's like, well, do you want to catch one of my bullpen sessions? I was like, yeah, sure. So, like, <laughs> one of the catchers was like, yeah, use my gear. I was like, okay. And, like, I got to catch this guy's bullpen session. And, like, that was just fun. Like, you know, it's a thing. It's the middle of the summer. You're in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, just strapping on the gear and catching a guy's bull. I was terrible, obviously. You know, I'm dropping stuff. and um, But it was neat to, to be able to go and do that and, and to work with those guys. And um, there was one guy on that team who was, like, in the big leagues. Um, 
and he was on that team, the Elkhart Dusters, like our power-hitting corner outfielder. And he's now a reliever for the Miami Marlins, <laughs> Mike Dunn, wow. um, the, the left-handed <laughs> reliever. But he was sort of bouncing back and forth in college, you know, between being a position player and a pitcher. Um, but it was so funny because I hadn't seen him for like 10 years. And then last year, I guess 2014, when the Marlins came to San Diego, I was like, I can't wait to see this guy. Yeah. And so I went into the Marlin clubhouse the first day they were here. And I was like, hey, Mike. He's like, hey, man, how's it going? I was like, uh, I was like, you play in Elkhart 2004? He's like, it took him a second. He's like, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, man, I was, I was the radio guy. And he was like, whoa, like, you know, just blew his mind. You know? <laughs> so he caught up for a couple of minutes and, you know, just uh, it's crazy. So, you know, it's neat. I think most guys who, who broadcast games have some story like that, whether it was a Woodbat Summer League, the Jayhawk League, or whether, you know, it was the, their days in the low minors or, or even in AAA, who knows. But um, it was a great experience, man. I would not trade it for anything um, yeah. to be young and single and, you know, just loving baseball. It was getting to sort of live that baseball lifestyle for the first time full time it was great nice yeah i'm, I'm sure that I, I love the fact that you embrace that you know that's the that's where your your style cultivated from and, and you just you know embrace the past and, and i and i love that that's 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 great you know sometimes going to a, a, a minor league facility like that kind of makes you love the game a little more if you will yeah for sure and, and even from the broadcast standpoint i didn't have a color guy um i didn't have an engineer you know, it was me. Like I would carry the equipment. I would set up the equipment. I would plug in the equipment. I would dial up, you know, to the station or whatever. And then, uh, I would call nine innings by myself and, you know, think about what we were just saying with Mark Grant and how much fun it is and how easy it is working with him. Now imagine the complete opposite and having to do everything on your own and not having <laughs> anybody to fly on and not having anybody to fall back on and not having anybody to, to speak and giving you the opportunity to take a sip of water, you know, like you're just doing yeah. everything. And so yeah. it, the the old man thing to say is it builds character but like it does it helps you you know sort of embrace everything that's going to come and you know i had done a ton of games in college um for the hurricanes on on the student radio station for the four years previous to that um and even that was like a higher level than this as far as the equipment went uh, as far as having a broadcast partner as far as the facilities you know i mean miami is like you know they won a national championship my freshman year they've got multiple NCAA titles like it's big time college baseball and you know you'd play in front of four or five thousand people you know on a big weekend series um then you're going around you know the Jayhawk League and I think I mean not that I remember real well but I can't imagine we played in front of a crowd of more than like a couple hundred people that entire season and very oftentimes you know double digit crowds Mm -hmm. um so you know even that felt like a, a departure but it was awesome it was awesome nice nice um, any of those uh, Hurricane players make it at the pro level that you broadcasted in college? Yeah, Ryan Braun um, was a year oh, or two okay. behind me. Um, I think Yonder was a freshman my senior year. I don't know if he was playing, but I think he was there. Um, Danny Valencia was a couple years behind me. I don't think we crossed paths. Um, Grandal, I think I missed by a year. I'd have to go back and check all that. But, okay. you know, I mean, it was there's a lot of major leaguers, you know, yeah, John Jay was a couple of years behind. Um, but like Braun was the one I remember really calling his games. Um, you know, I think the other guys weren't necessarily playing yet when I was there, uh-huh. um, but yeah, it's a factory man. Like it is for football. It oh, doesn't yeah, get it much attention. Um, but the baseball, you know, program that comes through there and, you know, watching Ryan Braun with a metal bat, you can only imagine I, it, it was incredible, man. Like you could tell like first game, you know, he's a freshman or whatever, and you're like, oh, this guy can definitely be a major leaguer. Like, it was that clear. It was that yeah. obvious. Like, he was that much better than everybody else. And uh, it was cool. We came out my junior year uh, to play Long Beach, um, which was neat. That was, like, my first time going to California. And um, we played them again senior year in Miami. And so there was a series, um, you know, where you had Jared Weaver starting for Long wow. Beach. You had Tulowitzki playing shortstop for Long Beach. You're Ryan Braun playing for Miami. And it's like, think about that in a college game. Like, these are like all-star caliber guys. Um, and getting to see them in college was really, really cool. Nice. That's pretty amazing. That's, that's... <laughs> yeah. All right. So I wanted to uh, kind of transition our discussion to the field. So what are your thoughts on the Padres offseason so far? Like, uh, all the moves they've made. What do, what do you think uh, it looking like for next year? I, you know, I think it's pretty clear that it's not last offseason, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, the the idea is a little bit different. I don't love this 
thought that I've seen some people have where they're like tearing it down. They're not doing what the Astros did a few years ago. You yeah. know, they've got John Jay. You don't sign Fernando Rodney if you're looking to, you know, just totally say, whatever, we'll lose 100 games. Um, you know, I, I, it's an interesting, it's kind of a little bit of a tweener, right? Because they did trade Kimbrel for like all these crazy prospects. You know, they did acquire this guy. They got rid of Jerko, whatever. Um, but, you know, they're trying to hang in there. You know, I don't think they feel like they need to burn the whole thing to the ground. Um, but they're obviously collecting, you know, some really legitimate prospects. I mean, I think in that Kimbrel trade, you're talking about if things go well, and that's an if, I get that. If mm-hmm. things go well, though, like in that Kimbrel trade, you got like the shortstop and the center fielder of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge deal. Think about how, how many teams don't have the shortstop of the future. Basically all of them, right? Like there's like five teams where they feel good at shortstop I mean, in any given year, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that's been the case here. I remember I was reading Corey Brock's article the other day. What is it like? You know, 18 guys in the last couple of years have played shortstop, something like that. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's such a black hole for this team and for a lot of teams. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens, but, you know, it's pretty clear that they're willing to make some moves. Um, but at the same time, you know, they're not trying to lose. Like you see some teams, they're trying to lose, right? Like I I don't want to name names or anything, but there was a (laughs) national league team that came to Petco last year and I'm watching them and I was like, they're trying to lose. Um, You know I mean? And, and I looked at it, I looked at their bullpen and it was like, Every game, it seemed like there was some guy bringing his gas can out to the mound, and you're like, "This dude's not a major leaguer." Like you felt bad for him. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, a, a three to one game that that team was leading would turn into a six three Padre lead. It seemed like all of a sudden in the sixth or seventh inning or whatever. Wow. Uh, you know, I don't think they're doing that. I think they're trying to stay competitive. They'll sort of see where things go and take it from there. I mean, you have Myers, you have Kemp, uh, you bring in John Jay, you, know, you have Derek Norris, um, Solarte. Obviously, had the really nice year last year. Um, you know, so we'll kind of see where the whole thing goes. Um, I don't think they're in any rush to define it. You know, I think, right, fans and media a lot of the time were like, well, are you rebuilding or are you all in? As if those are like the only two options or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that A.J. Preller in the front office feel like they have to define it. You know, I think they have their plan. I think they're sort of executing it. And I think it's always fluid. And the reality is if one of these guys, like if Fernando Rodney goes into late July with like a 1.2 ERA, and 22 saves, right? And there's some team that thinks they're a closer away from a playoff spot, and you can get their top prospect or one of their whatever. Okay, you you address that, and if not, then that's fine, and you got a, an option on Rodney. It sounds like for 2017, um, and he's been good, so roll with it. Kind of like what they did with Benoit the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it they they seem to know what they're doing. They really do, and you know, they're they're collecting some really good guys. And I'll divert from the question a little bit to say. The thing I think is most important, we all talk about draft, right, when it comes to prospects. Development is so much the thing to me. It's the mm-hmm. second D. You know, yeah. drafting is fine. The reality is it's a crapshoot to a certain extent. You know, there aren't a lot of Bryce Harpers, you know, in the draft. And, mm-hmm. and there are, and you're able to jump on them. That changes the game for a franchise, as we've seen with a few guys now the last couple of years. But generally, top to bottom in a draft, you look at the really good teams they're the teams that their starting third baseman was an eighth-round pick for them a couple years before. Their starting first baseman was maybe a tenth-round pick a few years before, and, and so on and so forth. And and taking these guys and developing them as people and as players, to me, is the most important thing. And and this is a thing that, that A.J. Preller and Sam Ganey and their crews are, like, obsessed with. Um, and it's, it's what can we mold these guys into. If you're drafting an 18-year-old high school kid or a 21-year-old college kid, Okay, that's not a finished product. This guy can get better. He can also get worse. He can stagnate. Um, but what you do once you get your hands on these guys in the minor leagues, um, I think, is what can really define, um, you know, a, an organization. And and they're really into that. They're really really into that. Obviously, a lot of it is talent, and a lot of it is getting the right guys. Um, but to me, the developmental part of it is the thing that's not discussed enough. And I know um, that they're like super 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 obsessed with that and i think they should be i think every team should be yeah i think it's like i mean look no further than the cardinals the giants the royals teams that have success are the ones that develop players properly and it's like you can draft however many players you want but if they don't turn into the the big leaguers and it's not the draft is meaningless so yeah it's all about the development all about that strategy and i think that aj preller obviously knows what he's doing and I'm hearing from a lot of fans that it's like, oh, are we rebuilding or are we contending or what are we doing? But it's like we kind of are stuck in the middle to, to an extent as, as, a, as a team. 
as a fan base, we are kind of like not knowing what's going on, but it's like, as long as we just trust in the decisions that are being made and there, there is, has been some good decisions being made this off season. I mean, relative to last off season where it was, some things were a little more questionable, I'd say, but I think that the direction is, is much more clear this off season, even if it's not, I guess, a defined direction the way people want it to be. Mm-hmm. But I think it's definitely, it's definitely there to an extent more. Yeah. I, I think, look, if you're a casual fan, last year was a lot more easy to interpret, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot more easy to get excited about. This year, if you're a casual fan, you might be looking around and be like, ah, I never really heard of these guys. Okay, John Jay, maybe I remember him, you know, from the Cardinals. Um, but if you're a hardcore fan, which I imagine most of the people listening to this are, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you can figure this year out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can kind of look around and be like, okay, I kind of get a sense of, of what they're doing here. I don't think there's a ton of mystery to it. Um, but you're right. It's not super defined one way or the other. It, it is in the middle. I don't like saying stuck in the middle. I don't, I don't think it's stuck in the middle. I think they've put themselves here. And they're sort of, you know, leaning left, leaning right, you know, kind of bobbing and weaving in the middle and deciding where to go from here. And I don't think that all those decisions have to be made at once. Uh, you know, like I said, things could change at the trade deadline. And who knows, maybe this group comes together and all of a sudden they're four games out at the All-Star break. And we're having a totally different conversation. Or maybe it's a total disaster and they're 20 out, but you have some tradable pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's early to start, you know, trying to define anything because I think the definition is always evolving you know, one, one direction or the other, um, at least the way they have it set up. Not to say there aren't teams who are clearly rebuilding Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Milwaukee, and, and that there aren't teams that are clearly ready to compete now, you know, Washington and the Mets or whoever. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it is middle. There's no question. But I, I think it's somewhat by design, and I, I certainly don't think it makes A.J. Preller uncomfortable to be in the position that they're in. No. Mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't imagine. You know, I, I've been a fan of this team for 40 years, and in my opinion, what's been lacking is the organized organizational philosophy. And, and I feel it changing. I feel that they're embracing uh, cultivating talent and developing a Padre way, if you will. And I, I'm no excited question. for uh, that. That to me is exciting. Yeah, James, no, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, Patrick said the thing a few minutes ago about, you know, just, oh, you just got to trust AJ Preller. That's not an easy thing to do if you're a Padre fan. Yeah, no. that's for sure. <laughs> the trust, the trust, let's be real, has not been earned enough no. over you know, the, the time from 1969 until today. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been very few periods. I've only been around here a couple of years, but I know there's only been a couple of periods where, where that trust was earned and deserved. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I wouldn't sit here and say, hey, yeah, just trust Preller, because you would say to me, well, why? You know, it's been a year. Let's see where it goes. Um, but there's no doubt, James, that there is that Padre way, and I hate that because it's what the Cardinals say. But, you yeah. know, yeah, there's no, that yeah. thing. There's exactly. definitely that thing that they're developing, and, um, you know, they had this prospect mini camp at SDSU um, this past week that we've been hearing about. I was walking around the, the tunnel at the ballpark today and I heard guys in the batting cages. Um, nice. They they had the, the top prospects in, um, you know, a couple months back uh, after fall league and after they did a mini camp in Arizona. Like there's a lot of baseball on the calendar for these guys. And having witnessed some of this stuff firsthand, I'll tell you that it is not just about developing their baseball skills. It's hey, who are we going to invite to this specific mini camp? you know, from the prospect? Well, yeah, we want to invite talented guys, but we also want to invite the guys who we think are going to be the leaders of the San Diego Padres in the future and nice. get them around each other and have nice. them hear from different people. Um, like, Preller's got such a detailed plan for this, and, and Sam Ganey deserves a ton of a recognition for it as well. And like you said, we'll see where it goes. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and just say blindly trust everyone, um, but there's absolutely a plan for the quote-unquote Padre way. We'll use it. And, yeah. and and what they want it to look like on the field, off the field, and just sort of the personality of the ball club moving forward. That's a that's probably I hate speaking for them, but the way I look at it, it's at the top of the list of, yeah. uh, of things they want to do more than anything else, because that's going to be the thing that helps lead to long term success, um, exactly. which is obviously the goal of the whole operation. Exactly. That, I mean, that's totally what I'm so excited about is that I feel the change in ownership and I feel the change in, in commitment to compete and and excel for seasons on end and, and to me that's that's worth anything i i, I i'm not going to demand championships but as long as we attempt to field a competitive team and are playing smart and aggressive baseball then you know i'm a happy camper let's go with the two c's competitive and competent like that's yeah. all you want out of your team right at the end of the exactly. unless you're a yankee fan or something like <laughs> you, you want from a fan standpoint you want competitive you want to be able to go to the game and know that they're going to be in it not to say you're not going to lose 12-1. Obviously, that happens over the course of 162 games. But you want the team to be competitive, and you want ownership and management to be competent. Um, and that sounds really simple, but if you look around the, the pro sports landscape, there are 
way too many teams um, where they don't have one or both of those things. And, and I think as a fan, those are the reasonable expectations. Those are the things you should want. And, and like I said, I think that's the direction they're, they're trying to move this thing. Definitely, definitely. So, um, Jesse, I wanted to ask you, uh, which player on the, the current Padres roster do you see having kind of a bounce back year? I know a couple of guys struggled. Uh, Will Myers was hurt. Andrew Kashner kind of had up and down year. Uh, James Shields also kind of in that same boat. So what are your thoughts on maybe those guys or anyone else that could be uh, returning to form this year, so to speak? Yeah, I think Myers is like the easy one, you know, but it's that asterisk of health, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's really easy for us all to sit here in late January and say, hey, if he's healthy, he could be an all-star. Um, let's see him be healthy. And I'm sure that's the way, you know, he's approaching it also. Um, but I, I think there's a really high ceiling for Will Myers. So he's an easy guy to talk about. Uh, and I like Cash, too. I, I was just stunned um, by, by Cashner's season last year. Um, you know, not to say there weren't other things going on and contributing factors. And, I mean, I just remember for, for the first probably three quarters of the season, every time he pitched, it was like there was some sort of defensive meltdown, it seemed like, right? And we always had to talk about the unearned runs and, like, you know, the number of errors made behind Andrew Cashner and his starts. It was just like it was like a perfect storm of bad you know, mm-hmm. at times for Kashner, it seemed like last year. But his stuff is so good. Um, mm-hmm. But we're also at the point where it's like, all right, man, you got to put it all together for a year. And, and I'm sure that's what he's feeling. Like, all right, it's time to, to go out and do this. Um, but it, his stuff is electric. I love that Darren Balsley is coming back so that they can kind of continue to work together, you know, to refine and figure things out. And the cash doesn't have to start over with a new pitching coach um, mm-hmm. it, because so much of it is that. But, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit of a, a baseball cliche, I guess, or whatever. But you know, there's there's always the lucky guy in the rotation and the unlucky guy in the rotation, right? There's the guy with the four and a half ERA that gets like eight runs of support every time he goes out there, and there's the guy with the three ERA that gets a no decision or loses because they only score twice. Um, you know, when he goes out on the mound. So I'm hoping that like <laughs> Kashner's bad luck last year sort of translates to better luck this year, in addition to him, you know, kind of pulling everything together because the stuff is so good, man. Like the effortless '96. And he can go with the two seamer and take it down a little bit, um, and, and then the slider. I mean, I, I I will never not go into a season thinking big things about Andrew Kashner. I, I guess that's just the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah. I think he's got um, he's got obviously a lot of potential still. I mean, he still hasn't really put it all together, but I think the biggest thing for him is just is just being healthy and I guess keeping his head in it because it seems like one thing he has a problem with is his head. Like when when the errors come and that kind of thing, it seems to get in his head a little bit. So I think that's something he definitely needs to work on, I guess, going forward. But I, I feel like he's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders because, obviously, look who he was traded for. So it's kind of like we could have had that guy. So it's like we expect you to be a great pitcher, you know, because – Yeah, maybe from a fan standpoint, but I don't think that impacts him. I, I just – you know, yeah. when, when you're pitching, there's so much you have to worry about and think about. And I can't imagine when he's, you know, towing the rubber and you got, you know, Adrian Gonzalez at the plate. And you're trying to remember the scouting report. And you're trying to remember how you pitched him last at bat. And, you know, there's a guy on second with one out in a one nothing game. Can't be thinking about Rizzo. Yeah. Right? Like, you just can't. And, and for a fan <laughs> standpoint, I get it. And we'll yeah. all talk about it. But I, I don't know if that's part of it. Like, there's just so much that he's got to think about. And, all right, are my mechanics good right here? You know, do I want to go to a slide step with a man on base or whatever? Like, I, I just can't imagine. He's like, man, I wonder you know, if Rizzo's homered for the Cubs tonight. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's, <laughs> there's, there's enough going on there that that's that's probably a better, like, blogger, tweeter, sports radio talking point than it is something that impacts Cashner on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think it's like, it's like we as fans expect so much out of him just because of that. And it's like, like obviously he doesn't care what we, what we expect or what we want because he's just going to go out there and do his job. But it's like, there's so much expectation there for him to be, I guess, a Cy Young or like so great because Rizzo's obviously so great. And that kind of goes back to our player development thing about how Rizzo wasn't, I guess, great here when he first came up and then we traded him away and then he was developed into a better player. So it goes back to that developing players and, and basically getting them in the right mindset and uh, making use of all the talent they do have. I love to use the word mindset. You know, that's that's such a part of it. What's the Yogi quote about, you know, 80 percent is half mental. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's one thing. Having been around a major league team basically every day for two years and having access to somebody like Randy Jones or Kurt Bavacqua, who I can really talk to, you know, about aspects of the game. It's true, man. Like it's all these guys are good. Like think about how hard baseball is. Right. It's the hardest mm. sport to be good at. 
I mean, the precision of it all, it's absurd. And if you're in the major leagues, you're really good. You're yeah. really, really good. Um, and, and the mental state can swing you so far one way or the other. And, and look, talent, perseverance, hard work, all that matters a ton. But, you know, the, 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 the particular headspace that a guy is in, I am a, a big believer that that can have like just such a major impact on him. And maybe more so in the development thing, like you were saying, you know, because of the frustrations of, man, I feel like I should be in double A and here I am at high A again or whatever. Um, you know, and, and having to go through all that failure. I've heard Andy Green speak a few times um, and, and AJ Preller too recently about, you know, this is a game of failure. And just like, let's go into the conversation saying that and knowing that and accepting that, that baseball is a game of failure. So as much as anything else, how you respond to that failure is, is a big part of, you know, what's going to define your future. Yeah, I think that kind of goes back to the whole, like, even the best hitters fail seven times out of 10 at the That's plate. It. So it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of failure within. It's a lot of I guess taking the bad with the good, and being able to I guess keep your head in the game. And I think I hate to bring up Khalil Green, but that that was kind of his problem with with the Padres. I mean, he had all the talent in the world, but he could never get his his head on straight. I guess he had his own issues, maybe personal demons, whatever you want to call it, and he could never put the whole package together on a consistent basis. And I think that's that's probably one of the biggest things in player development is getting these guys not only in the right mindset, but just getting them like prepared for, for what their future is going to hold. And, and Cleo Green is an extreme example, you know, from what I understand. And I read yeah. that really good long article on him last year, um, as I'm sure a lot of people did. I don't know him. I've never met him. You know, I wasn't here when he was playing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, he had his own personal stuff he was trying to work through. But it doesn't even have to be that extreme for it to have a huge impact. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, that's what's wild about it. Like your, your normal ho-hum major leaguer, could be going through a lot of those same, you know, doubts and frustrations that can really impact them, even without, you know, some of the heavier, you know, uh, emotional or psychological burdens that that somebody else has. Um, and that, again, just shows you like the, the weight on these guys' shoulders is insane. And you say, you know, failing seven out of ten times, it makes you a Hall of Famer if you're a 300 hitter in your career. You know, think about it, you can have a two for four day where you hit a home run and your team loses eight to two. So like, mm-hmm. even those days when you do have a, a net positive on your own stat line might not even mean you won the game. And so is that a failure? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's what's crazy about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough, man. And, and the, yeah. the psychological grind on these guys is gotta be something almost impossible for any of us to understand. Yeah. I think that's why men, the, the mental health of each player, I guess you could say is, is so much more important than talent. Cause obviously they're all good. I mean, you have to be at least somewhat good to get in the major leagues, right? right. So it's, it's, it's mostly mental is what keeps you there and what, what gives that consistency in, in performance. For sure. And I'm not, look, I'm not trying to say that Alejandro Deaza with his head screwed on straight is as good as Mike Trout yeah, on I a mean... bad day. <laughs> yeah. You know, look, there, there are ranges and everything. But, you know, let, let's say that every guy has a little bar of, of how good he can be. Mm-hmm. And that thing can swing all the way left and swing all the way right, you know, based upon his, you know, his headspace and, and just sort of his, his way of feeling in a given day or a given week or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's why the three of us love the game so much is that it, it mirrors life like that. You know, there's sure. there's good and bad and there's bad and good in every in almost every situation basically. I like that. Very deep. <laughs> Going yeah. profound here today. I, I was a philosophical <laughs> major I was a philosophy major, what can I tell you? <laughs> um, you know, talk a little bit about Randy Jones and Kurt Bavakwa and you know what you knew about them before you got here. They're they're treasured Padre players, if you will, and you know, were you familiar with their careers before you had gotten here? And, and talk to me about your interaction with both of them and, and how you enjoy talking to them. I uh, love talking to them. Um, you know, I, I certainly knew of them. You know, Randy Jones is a Cy Young winner that carries a lot of weight. Um, mm-hmm. What I didn't know about Randy before getting here was really his his place in the history of the Padre organization, where he was really the first guy that was like a star, right? Like, you know, he was sort of the first guy you came out yeah. to see, and mm-hmm. and what he meant on a bigger level other than, Oh yeah, he started an all-star game and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, kind of getting here and learning what he meant to this organization at that time and what he's continued to mean, you know, how big part of the community he is here, how involved he is. He got his golf tournament. He had the restaurant. Like, um, he is, he is, you know, I know Tony's Mr. Padre, but like we need another thing like that for Randy, yeah. Uh, yeah. maybe Mr. San Diego. Um, you know, uh, so that was cool. You know, Bavacqua, I, I knew him as Dirty Kurt. I knew he had, you know, the Great World <laughs> Series. Uh, you know, I knew he was a big part of the brawl with the Braves. Like, that's what I knew about uh, Kurt Bavacqua. Um, and, and he has lived up to every expectation I would have had for him. So, yeah, having access to those guys, like I said, is so good because 
you know, there's only so much you could talk about on the air, on the show, you know, just sort of within the confines of well, what's respectable, I guess. Um, and so getting to hear a lot of those, you know, behind the scenes things and um, just BSing with them and chatting with them off the record, as it were, uh, is fun. I mean, any old ball player has great stories, particularly from those eras. Um, yeah. You know, or I think things were like a little more wild and, you know, guys didn't have to worry about iPhone videos when they were out at the bar at night. Seriously. Um, Seriously. You know, that kind of stuff. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And they're both just awesome, awesome people on top of it, which is a bonus. Nice. We, yeah, we've had some interaction with Mr. Vakwan. He's been really, really sweet to us. And, you know, he's he's just full of uh, stories and, and inf- information. It's just uh, it's fun to hear him talk. Big time. Big time. All right. So, Jesse, I wanted to um, get your thoughts on something a little outside of uh, Padre land, I guess you could say. Uh, what are your thoughts on the designated hitter coming to the National League? I know there's a yeah. lot of talk of that lately. I mean, it's, they say it's coming in a couple years, or so it, that's what it's looking like. So what are your thoughts on that? How do you feel about that? possible transition so i've been an nl guy my entire life and i hate the dh let me start there i hate it i hate it agreed Agreed. (laughs) Uh, but and this goes back a year or two there does seem to be an air of inevitability Mm -hmm. uh, with it coming now the owners aren't stupid and the commissioner isn't stupid i'm a big rob manford fan um the way they're talking about it to me is a setup for cba negotiations this year remember the cba is up after this season so those negotiations will get going in earnest very shortly. And obviously both sides have been preparing for some time, I'm sure, months probably, for the start of the formal negotiations. Mm-hmm. Um, so Manfred and the owner sort of dangling that, hey, yeah, it's, it's something we'd be interested in, is music to the Players Association's ears. You know, they've always been in favor of it. So to me, that's a message being sent, you know, from the owners. Like, all right, hey, it's on the table. You know, we're willing to be open-minded about it for the first time, really, I guess. Um, but but what are we going to get? You know, I mean, so th- that, that's the message to the Players Association that, all right, when you guys get to the table, you got to have something to trade for that DH. Um, or or maybe the owners will say, here's what we want you to trade. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think that's what it is. It does seem like an inevitability. I hate it. I wish it weren't. I would much rather the AL get rid of it. But that's not realistic. Um, I, I'm just, I, I like the pitchers hitting. I think it's, I think there's something fun to it. Um, yeah, I love what? watching Bartolo Colon hit. Yeah, like that's <laughs> – what was the most watched like GIF or Vine in Major League Baseball Bartol- last year? I think it was Bartolo Colon batting. Or that's yeah. it. It has to be, right? Like if yeah. you called MLB Advanced Media and was like, what had the most loops on Vine? It has to be Colon screwing himself into the ground with his gut <laughs> hanging over his belt and his hat flying or his helmet flying off. Um, <laughs> but like and, – and I get the other side of it. They're like, well, I'd rather have a competent hitter up there. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I don't mind the low-scoring, well-pitched game. Um, and mm-hmm. I think having pitchers hit helps that. But um, again, like Ian Kennedy going deep, that's one of the coolest moments of the season. You know, Tyson Ross, that cool StatCast article last week. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, Tyson yeah. Ross's exit velocity being higher, higher than Cespedes. Like, that's yeah. awesome. Don't rob me of that, you know. But I, I, like I said, it feels inevitable. You know, I mean, there's only so much time you can spend standing on the train track with the train approaching before you go, all right, I should probably get out of the way here. And, and that's kind of how I feel about DH, unfortunately, um, because I love pitchers hitting. I don't like the DH, uh, but it kind of seems like it's happening. So be interesting to see, you know, what, what comes back the other way. Maybe that's the thing that, that Major League Baseball says, all right, we'll give you the DH in the National League, but you're giving us a pitch clock, you know, a legit pitch clock. Okay. Uh, and and maybe it is something that's significant. And you know, I, I do think adding the DH to the National League would increase the length of game. Um, and that's obviously something that Manfred is very much trying not to do. He's trying to shorten the games. So maybe that's the trade-off. Um, and I know there was an article. Uh, one of the vocal minority guys sent it to me. It was I think a five thirty eight article about you know the guy saying I don't think that the DH makes games longer, but I, I, AL games are longer than NL games. He kind of looked and researched yeah. league games, AL versus NL, and I, I still think the style of play that you see in an AL versus AL game is longer uh, than mm-hmm. you see in an NL versus AL game, even if it's being played in an AL park. Um, you know, so maybe it's only a couple of minutes, but them shaving a couple of minutes off is something that's they've shown to be an important thing to them. So I don't know. Maybe that's the big bargaining chip that they ask for, and they say, "All right, you can have the DH in the National League, but you're only going to have twenty or thirty, whatever." you know, seconds between pitches. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I kind of prefer the the third way of of letting the the, the NL stay the same as they are now and letting the AL do their own thing. 
I kind of like having each league do their own thing. I mean, most other sports, it's like one set of rules that are followed. Mm-hmm. And I think it creates a little more, I guess, diversity in the game. It's a little more fun because you're watching kind of two different products, basically. Like I'm with you. And, and, and symmetry is overrated to me. You know, yeah, people, agreed. Well, oh, we, we had to get 15 teams in each league to make it fair. And, you know, I don't care. Like, I'm not that OCD. Like, I, I, don't, I don't need <laughs> yeah. that to be the case. Like... And I know it drives some people up a wall because what in what other sport are there two separate you know sets of rules? But in what other sport are the playing surfaces sized as differently as they are here? And I know back in the day, especially and maybe now still today, some of the in the NHL, some of the rinks were a little bit longer, or shorter, or fatter, or wider. Um, and and okay, but like this is significant. You know, three ninety nine to center versus four twenty five to center, which you have in like within a division, it's significant. Um, and, and I think We're that's great. Colorado. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think so, it's, it's nice to have that diversity and like it, it makes baseball. the game special. Exactly. It's part of baseball. But yeah. like I said, the train is coming. I'm, I'm probably going to have to get out of the way. Yeah. yeah same. <laughs> no, it's, I hear you. It's, it's sounding like it's inevitable. I think that the, you know, the players union wants another high paying salary on the, on the team's roster and the, and, the, and ultimately money talks and and i think we are headed towards a dh i mean i'm i'm on the same level as you two i agree that it's part of the game it's 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 something that we've all grown to to see and love and and adapt to that style of ball and you know it is what it is and and like you say the train is coming so it's time to move exactly i think we can Um, take solace in the fact that uh bartolo clone will probably be retired in the next couple (laughs) years so we won't miss anything we won't won't be robbed of too many cologne bats okay (laughs) it's okay (laughs) Um, you know, you, you guys did an excellent coverage, um, at the baseball winter meetings, both, uh, you and Nikki and, and Seth as well. Um, I want to talk about the Mr. Belding picture, if, if to be quite honest. I mean, oh that, yeah. <laughs> that, that, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm of the age group. So saved by the bell was, was, you know, right in my wheelhouse. So, you know, Mr. Belding, that, 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 that must've been uh, something else. So they have as part of the winter meetings, and you guys probably know this, but, it's so much more than the GMs making trades. I mean, it's, it's a trade mm-hmm. show. It's a job fair. It's everything. And, and mm-hmm. so that trade show is one of the really big elements. And it's basically like every company imaginable that sells something to a baseball team is there. So you have bat companies and equipment companies, but companies that make the patches that go on the jerseys, companies that do promotions, like everything. It's like just a giant warehouse, essentially, of that kind of stuff. So uh, Blooper and I wandered in like the second day, Seth, and, and we were like, all right, yeah, I guess we'll go check it out. So you're just sort of walking around and, you know, oh, that's cool. Oh, these guys make mascot costumes. Like, you know, everything you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And we're just sort of wandering around and all of a sudden he's like, hey, that's that's Mr. Belding. I was like, you're absolutely <laughs> right. It is. And so we just walked over. And when I tell you this is like the nicest person I've ever met in my life, he's like, hey, guys, how are you? You want an autograph picture? You want a, this? Like he was just he couldn't care less about that. And so I guess he goes around um, to like different ballparks, mostly minor league. Um, and, you know, they'll do Saved by the Bell night. And so, you know, when you see those things where like, oh, this minor league team is wearing Saved by the Bell jerseys tonight, he'll be there and he'll take pictures and sign autographs. And like, that's like a, a business he's in now and he does appearances. And um, so he was there as part of that. Um, and he was just like the coolest, nicest guy ever, man. And we talked probably for like 10, 15 minutes, big baseball guy, um, you know, was really interested in, in the Padres and the way we did stuff. And um, it was cool. So we, we got the picture with him and a couple of autographs as well. And uh, it was it was awesome because, yeah, like you, I, uh, I, you know, I mean, I grew up big time on Saved by the Bell and uh, it was fun, man. It was it was cool. It was not who you expected to see when you walked into the like trade show at the baseball winter meeting. No, exactly. I saw I saw your tweet and I was like, what the heck, Mr. Belding? I was like, okay, (laughs) very random. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Jesse, a couple more questions and and then we'll get out of your hair uh, for sure. Uh, Patrick, did you have anything uh, in particular that you wanted to hit Jesse with? I just want to know if anything else Jesse wanted to say to the fans. I mean, any any things you wanted to share about your own life? Anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you know I, I I'm good. Uh, you guys had great questions. This was fun conversation, and uh, happy to do it. And and uh, no, I mean people hear from me enough. Let's be real. That's true. Uh, <laughs> you know, between social media, social hour games, I I there was a point last year, you know, where I was like I was doing a game on TV, and then. Uh, my my big ugly face came up on the big video board for like out of town scores, and I just turned to whoever was next to me, and I was like overexposed, overexposed. <laughs> oh I, man, uh, we love it. We love every yeah. minute. <laughs> yeah, there's there's plenty of Jesse. There's more than enough Jesse. So thanks. <laughs> you know, there can never be you, too much. You know, you're 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 new to San Diego. Um, you know, besides the weather, what you know, what are your 
overall thoughts of the place, the the fans. Um, I know we're a little bit um, laid back, if you will, but I, I don't know exactly how how Miami uh, fans are. But you know, give us an impression of of what you feel about the city and and more in particular the fans themselves. Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, I love it here. I mean, my my first thought. And the thought that I've like asked most every day is like, why don't more people live here? And you know, I've said this before. And I get it that not everyone here wants more people to live here, so I'm not suggesting we need to like, <laughs> yeah. move, move everyone in. But um, I don't understand why more people don't live here. Um, it, it's just this incredible place. Um, and it's funny because growing up on the East Coast, um, you know, you always heard all oh, West Coast bias, and you'd hear like the Oregon football fans complaining that oh, the Ducks don't get enough love because of the West mm. Coast bias, and I would always sort of roll my eyes at it. Um, mm. But now, like having lived here, like that's a real thing, you know. I, I, I <laughs> yeah, um, and it's and there is significant differences between there are significant differences between the West Coast and the East Coast, and that laid back thing you mentioned, you know, that's not just San Diego. Like it's it's just a different vibe out here, um, mm. you know, than the East Coast. The East Coast is. And not that there aren't exceptions and that every person in California falls into one category and every person in, in Miami or New York falls into the other. But like, you know, the, generally speaking, the East Coast, far more like type A, aggressive, fast paced. Here it's like it is more relaxed, man. It really is. And that's that's part of the, the baseball fans. And that's part of, you know, being in Starbucks or getting lunch or whatever. Yeah. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. like I notice it. I really do. And, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. Uh, I'm not going to walk down that path. Like it's just, it's different. It's absolutely different. And the way things are consumed here from a sports standpoint is different. Like having the NFL on at 10 in the morning is the greatest thing ever. Being able to watch that Oregon USC <laughs> yeah. game at seven 30, as opposed to 10 30 is awesome at night. Yeah. Um, you really do get a better appreciation of all that stuff coming on. So I'd say it's, it's definitely real and different, but um, the, the San Diego fans in particular, like they're into it, man. Like they care. You know, they really, really do, the Padre fans, and that's what's awesome. And I came from, you know, the Marlins. That situation's just really tough. It's really, really tough. And it's not just the attendance. It's the way people feel about the team, and it's just sort of the whole, I don't know, aura surrounding the club. Even before the new stadium, even with the new stadium, like, it's it's a tough situation. And coming here, and, you know, even when the team's struggling, to see 30-plus thousand people in the building is awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and Petco being as incredible it is, as it is is obviously a huge part of that. Um, but I, I think that's awesome. But, um, you know, I've, I've gotten to be at games in San Francisco and in L.A. and in Seattle and here. And maybe it does feel more laid back, but like they're into it and they know the game. Um, you know, they're they're really into it. And I, I think I see a great appreciation, you know, for baseball from the fans here. It's a great baseball community, right? Southern California in general. Everybody yes. plays and everything like that. And I think that's reflected. People really, really know the game. You know, they know when to, to cheer. They get it. And, uh, and and I love that. That's all you can ask for, I think. Nice. Nice. Um, okay, Patrick, anything else? Or shall we let Mr. Agler go? I think we're good. I just wanted to thank, thank Jesse for coming on, obviously, taking time out of his busy schedule, I'm sure, to talk to us for a little bit. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Anytime. Yeah. Stop. Yeah, we, we, we had a blast. We, we love talking to baseball. And we love, you know, talking to you in, in particular. You, you've uh, your wealth of information for us. And, and uh, we appreciate everything that you've done with the social hour buzz that you've created with the, with the team. It's really uh, something special in the last two years. And, and you really deserve a lot of um, praise for that. And, uh, you know, you and, and Wayne and uh, Mike D as well are, are have done an excellent job in, in creating that. Uh, oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's always nice, you know, uh, people are watching or interested or like it or anything like that. So definitely appreciate it. And uh, thanks for all the nice words. Very, very nice. Cool. All right, Jesse. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on and, and supporting us. And, and like, as, as always, we, we will, uh, we will root for the Padres till our, our dying breath. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Man. anytime take, guys. Take care, Jesse. You too. Bye. All right, uh, James. All right, folks. Well, you know, that was a great interview with Jesse Agler. Um, we're trying to provide more exclusive content like that and, you know, keep on the lookout for our next podcast. We have a couple scheduled uh, next week, uh, tentatively scheduled, um, with a couple of interesting guests. Um, I don't want to exactly say who we have yet, but um, we enjoyed our time today with Jesse. And uh, Patrick, any uh, closing words or anything? Uh, no, just just thanks again to Jesse. It was great talking to him. I'm sure we'll talk to him again at some point. But um, for our podcast, you can follow us on Podbean. That's where we are hosted. And we are also now on iTunes. So if you listen to podcasts on iTunes, feel free to give us a follow and uh, listen there. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you so much. Uh, East Village Times podcast, signing out. <laughs>